Welcome back to another episode of Geek Warning, everybody. Okay, Lee Fretz, it's been a big week over here at the Escape Collective. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, I, 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 I'm bummed you missed it, first and foremost. I think you may be living under a small rock. Uh, we launched our big project this week uh, about 24 hours ago. Actually, almost exactly 24 hours ago. And if you don't know what I'm on about, please go check out escapecollective.cc. That's us now. That is the new home of Geek Warning. It's the new home of Ronan and Dave and my man, James. Welcome back, James. Hi, hi everybody. How do I do this again? It's been a while. (laughs) Sounding a little rusty there, James. I am a little rusty because I, I actually can't remember the last time I recorded a podcast. It's maybe been like, I don't know, a couple months or something maybe. I, I don't. I really don't know. I, I actually had to try and figure out where all my gear was. Hmm. <laughs> well, I, I would like to be the first to say that I literally could not be any happier about getting James on board. Uh, it was down to the last minute, but we figured it out. And so... Now you're on the pod, uh, and you are gonna you're gonna take a bit of a break here. Uh, we're not gonna hear you for a couple of weeks, I think. But starting in April, James, you'll be you'll be escaping with us. You'll be an escapee. And uh, yeah, because in the meantime, I I I need a little bit of time to recover here. Because let's just say the last couple of months have been a little stressful, and I'll just leave it at yes. that. Yes. Yes. Did you manage to clean out your garage? No. No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> oh. If, if anything, Dave, right now, my garage looks worse than you have seen it before. That's that's just stressful in itself. I, I, I don't yeah. want to talk about it. I, I don't right. want to, it's a very sore right. subject. We'll move on. Okay. Uh, I'm going to send Dave a picture of my shed after mm. this and just watch him melt, watch his hair catch on fire. Mm. All right. We have, a, we have a fair amount to talk about today. Uh, we have... Some Shimano hub news. We have, ooh, SRAM Force. Uh, the updated SRAM Force was actually launched this morning, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we have a court decision on some wavy wheels. Uh, we mentioned this in last week's episode. We've got a little bit more detail on the Candle Super 6 and that Lab 71 thing we were talking about. Of course, we've got a PSA. Of course, we've got an on your mind and over the head of your family and I don't see a dirty, dirty Dave on here, but that's okay because we don't have any theme music yet. And yeah, and I, I didn't love that segment, but hey, like I'm sure, I'm sure you'll keep bringing it up. But uh, <laughs> for now, we'll uh, we'll we'll pass on that one today. Unfortunately, this isn't yeah. up to Dave. Uh, mm. The people have spoken, and the people are me, and mm. so we are going to be continuing with Dirty, Dirty Dave into perpetuity. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, first and foremost, Shimano has just queued up sealed bearing hubs. Dave, your name's next to this. Explain what's going on. So it's actually part of a much larger release, which is uh, Shimano Qs. And Shimano Qs is, uh, according to Shimano, probably the biggest launch they've done in decades and for decades to come, potentially because this group set is likely to going to, going to be seen over the next year or two. Uh, it's probably going to be a, accountable for two out of five bo- bikes sold globally, uh, which is quite the claim. Uh, and how they're claiming that is basically Shimano Qs is the replacement for all of Shimano's entry-level group sets. So if you look at the flat bar market or the entry-level mountain bike market, you traditionally had... Uh, Altus, Asira, and Olivio as uh, really in any recreational level group set. Qs replaces those. On the road, while this hasn't been officially announced yet, it will eventually replace Claris, Sora, and Tiagra as well. Uh, and then it also replaces any trekking group sets. It replaces the entry-level stuff on e-bikes. So it's this all-encompassing group set that's now just very easy for a shop employee to explain to a new cyclist uh what they get for the money and yeah the different levels are basically just defined by how many speeds you get so shimano Qs is available in 9 10 and 11 speed uh and then shimano's top end stuff uh is is 12 speed and that's that remains so like your your 105 your altegra your durace on the road or your your dior through to xtr on on mountain bike if it's 12 speed then that's that's still the higher end stuff 
Um, but yeah, amongst us, there's there's some huge stuff. Um, one of which being the the new hubs. Uh, Shimano's introducing some modular bearing kind of uh, modular axle hubs where you can change the freehub body and and change the, the the axle size, which we've never seen from them before. Uh, and it's quite interesting because traditionally they've they've really beat the uh, cup and cone drum. I, can I just say that I'm really really sad about the whole cup and cone thing because mm-hmm. as as a longtime shop mechanic, I will acknowledge that cup and cone bearings can definitely go wrong if they are not properly adjusted, particularly when they're not properly adjusted from the factory, which is very often the case. Uh, but when they are properly adjusted, they are pretty much bulletproof. Like they far, far better durability than any sealed cartridge bearing I've ever seen. Uh, I can understand why Shimano went this route. It's just easier. It's just more consistent. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, it'll be more consistently kind of okay as yeah. opposed to being potentially amazing. But it's unfortunately also, that... Yeah. Yeah. The the other big thing with all of this is that it's it's simpler from a product range point of view. So traditionally, no, I mean, I, I get yeah, it. I'm yeah. still bummed though. Yeah. So for a shop that stocks wheels, they no longer have to stock every single axle variant of that wheel. They can stock one and and a couple of axle kits and keep uh, whatever customer comes through the door rolling. Kaylee, I, I mean, all of these sort of different things existed for a reason at some point, mm. right? It's because they were sort of designed for a particular use case. Yeah. Is this basically because? I guess the technology has progressed to the point where the thing designed for one use case can be pretty damn good for another use case, particularly at this sort of like lower level of stuff. I mean, you're talking about having stuff that's, you know, good for a hybrid and good for a road bike and good for Mm. whatever else. And, and, and so there's, so there are still different series of group sets within the Q's range and there's different tiers of it. Uh, And then there's also like one by and two by variants with different gearing ratios so based on that, you'd have, yeah, there's there's stuff for touring bikes, like a two-by system for touring bikes, which, sorry, tourers that love three-by, um, there isn't that. But, uh, and then there's, you know, this one-by one wide range, sort of like 11 to 50-tooth cassette for, for mountain bikes. So it really is just designed to be kind of modular where you can um, mix and match almost to, to suit the bike style. Yeah, and that modularity is going to be absolutely huge for bike shops because mm-hmm. Shimano has designed this so that all the parts are basically interchangeable with each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that just means it just makes it so much easier in terms of stocking parts or having a part that will fit. I mean, even if you don't have necessarily like the exact right Q's model of rear derailleur or whatever on hand, the chances of you potentially having that a, a compatible Q's part on hand for someone that needs it is a lot better than it used to be. Right. That's even down to the chain, isn't it? Where it's the same chain across nine, 10, 11 speed. Yep. So, uh, Shimano introduced this a little while ago. Uh, link glide is kind of what the system is. And they were introduced it really for, for e-bikes where the, the cassette cog is actually quite a bit thicker than traditional. Uh, and, and they're claiming that cassettes last three times longer as a result of it. But yeah, basically they're using this technology across the board for cues and what that means is every regardless of whether it's 9 10 or 11 speed they all use an 11 speed chain uh a pre-existing 11 speed chain and that also means they then have the same spacing on the chain ring so it's the same chain ring regardless of what speed you have uh, but where this gets really interesting is that the gaps the spacing gaps of the cassette have traditionally changed with each generation with each extra speed that shimano has added so say 9 and 10 speed were mostly incompatible because the the gap in the cassette was different so the amount of um the amount the derailleur move based on the shifter was was different between those two uh Q's keeps that consistent so 9 10 and 11 speed the gaps between the cassette are identical it's just you get an extra cog onto the end for each each extra speed you gain uh, and what that means is that your your shifters are completely cross compatible so you can actually in a pinch, if you had, say, a 11-speed Q's system and you broke a shifter and you went into a bike shop and all they had was a 9-speed shifter, you can put that 9-speed shifter on and just get 9 gears out of your 11-speed system, but keep running, keep riding. Um, and that's pretty interesting, and that's not something that could be done before. So basically, awesome. it's a limit screw, then, that determines... <laughs> 
pretty much yeah limit screen obviously like you know the number of clicks in the shifter are going to determine how yeah. many clicks you you get out of the shifter but yeah it goes the other way you know you could use a in theory you could use a nine speed derailleur to run your 11 speed gears um so there's there's a huge amount of cross compatibility compatibility here uh i guess the other things to to know about it is that um they're all using like a hd style cassette body so that's that's just like your standard shimano cassette body that everyone that's removed a cassette would probably know well. Um, so this whole system is based on that. And that's kind of how Shimano is differentiating, differentiating this between uh, its high-end, say, mountain bike stuff. So all of its high-end mountain bike stuff is using that, that micro-spline system, which allows a 10-tooth cog. Uh, whereas basically moving forward, everything cheaper will just be HG. Um, and that's, that's really the big compatibility difference between, um, between these two. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. Like, Greater durability, easier part sourcing, you know, modular ability to mix and match parts. It's all it's all sounding pretty good to me. Um, but there is a big caveat here, and uh, that is that it's not compatible with the pre-existing group sets. So if you think about the millions and millions of bikes out there in the wild that are running Sora or Tiagra or uh, your Asira or Olivio, basically any, you know, the bikes that we first started on, the bikes that basically everyone first started on, that is probably still somewhere in a garage somewhere. Uh, yeah, no compatibility. And eventually Shimano will stop making those parts. Um, it's not going to happen soon. It'll probably be five plus years. But eventually those bikes, if you did, say, break a derailleur on one of those bikes, there's a high chance that, at least if you want to stay in the Shimano ecosystem, you'd need to replace a shifter and a derailleur and a cassette and a chain and a chain ring. Uh, but it also, I think that'll eventually open the door to the likes of MicroShift and all these other brands that, that do make replacement parts and compatible parts for, for these entry-level bikes. So I think it, you know, the opportunity is, is that some of those brands will grow their market share. How much information do we have on the, on the cassette uh, sprocket spacing like do we know do we have we confirmed that nine speed cues is not the same spacing as nine speed anything else shimano and historically well yes because of the we know it's based on the 11 speed chain width so there's um yeah so i don't know exactly there's got to be something some speed within shimano's range that will be close enough on the pull ratio where it will be compatible uh, but yeah, at the moment, Shimano is basically saying it's it's its own thing, um, and Link Glide is yeah, it's its own unique shifter pull ratio. Um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't tested that. It will be interesting to find out because yeah, I'd be be good to know whether you can you know link up say ten speed road stuff or something like that, make it work. Yeah, because I mean historically, Shimano has always said that things either are or are not compatible, but their definition of compatible is like they determine things to be compatible if they are like actually designed for each other and work perfectly the way that they consider it to be. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't, that it won't work. They're like sort of off combinations and people of course have done this forever. Um, so the, the idea that some of these older parts might not be available for these other group sets moving forward. I mean, that's obviously concerning. Um, but at least I think, you know, we haven't seen any of the drop bar stuff yet and we're still kind of speculating on that, but, um, for the flat bar stuff, I, I don't. I kind of wonder how big of a deal that might be, um, because again, the stuff that we're looking at is generally relatively inexpensive. Um, mm -hmm. So if someone did have to replace, well, again, we don't really know what the full compatibility is, but if someone had to replace a now a like a derailleur and a shifter as opposed to just a derailleur, it might not be that big of a of a financial impact, depending on what is and actually is not compatible. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, in my mind, I'm seeing like, you know, someone with a, a nine-speed Olivio bike breaking a derailleur in 10 years' time, and the, the solution there would be to replace basically the entire drivetrain, um, at least according to Shimano. So, um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll find out, hey? Like, it's it's one of those things that I'm sure people will test as these parts become available, and, and the parts are starting to roll in. Like, uh, I think bikes, bikes with these components are due as early as June. I love that we just spent, like, 15 minutes talking about the lowest end Shimano stuff. 
uh, it makes me happy. I actually yeah. really want to try it. Happy inside. Like I would love to get yeah. in a bike with the stuff on there and and check it out because mm-hmm. it probably is good. really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, eleven speed yep. chains are great. The, a lot of these derailers have like clutches in them for for chain security. Uh, yeah, I mean, it all looks fantastic. It's just, but yeah, we're talking about because it is you know it's Shimano's biggest release. It's two out of five bikes. Forty percent of the new bikes in the world are going to have Shimano Qs on it. That's I mean, a big deal. Fi- financially, this is probably the most important thing for Shimano in ages. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is huge. This is basically anyone moving forward getting into cycling is is going to experience this group set. Speaking of huge. Yeah. Uh, Ronan. Just before we move <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> am I too close to the screen? <laughs> no, it's the segue. <laughs> i know i know i, I got what's it. up I got it. It. what's up uh well i was gonna say before we move on we haven't really uh well we briefly touched on pricing there but mm. the pricing to me seemed uh seemed pretty damn good on on mm. most of the stuff uh i, I yeah. was finding myself multiple times checking is this a whole group set or is this one part of the group set and it was the whole group set pricing yeah uh that's a question i asked my contact at shimano and uh yeah basically there's not any significant price rises associated with this group set, so it's it's very much designed to be in line with your your Sierra and your your Olivia equivalent. So yeah, in, in theory, it shouldn't it shouldn't come with any uh, more expensive bike prices. It's it's really intended to be a direct replacement. So that's good news. The other thing we didn't mention was what actually Q's stands for. Oh yes, what does it stand for? Um, race yourself. That's very cheesy. <clears throat> Creating unique experiences. Q experience, Q the vomit. Creating un, u, unique experiences. Yes. That's where the ES comes from. Yes. The S oh, comes no. from the end. Yes. <laughs> which which is ironic really, given uh, that it's 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 gonna be across so many different bikes. Uh it's not gonna be really unique. It's gonna yeah. be hmm. or it is gonna be yeah. everywhere. Yeah. There's a reason why I didn't explain uh, what the acronym meant. I just, I just, I was doing Shimano a favor there, but anyway, uh, too late for that. Uh, well, that makes my little Q pun at the beginning of this even worse. Uh, mm. Anyway, let's, let's move, move on. on. Yeah. We, we, there, were, there were other things launched today, actually. Mm. Uh, these are maybe slightly less of a big deal, uh, a kind of a big deal, but the, frankly, the changes are not enormous, right? So mm. we've got new updated SRAM Force. What, what are the sort of highlights here? Uh, I guess I can I can feel this one. Uh, the big highlights are like minor changes. So I think the the number getting around is that they've made twenty minor changes, and and some of those changes were actually trickled in throughout the previous generation of of force, is my understanding. So little tweaks to like the front derailleur cage to make it stiffer and and easier to align. Uh, and and little tweaks to the rear derailleur and and tweaks to the cassette and things like that. And it, it's basically just uh. The summary that I received was that it's the best bits of SRAM Red and the best bits of SRAM Rival, which is their newest generation group set in in that sense, uh, merged into one and uh, made to look a lot more high end. So they've they've really pitched this. The they're not SRAM's not ashamed to say that um, it's really designed to compete with Altegra Di2. And they really actually want to take um, their goal is to take basically market share away from Campagnolo for people building like desirable bikes. So they aesthetically, it's received some really big updates. Uh, it no longer looks plasticky and a little uh, a little dull like the previous Force Group. It actually does look quite classy. It's got a bit of a, a metallic holographic kind of graphic to it. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's unicorn gray. Dave, unicorn gray. It, yeah, that's technical. Uh, Technology. I'm just going to go ahead and say that the previous Force group set, for as well as it actually worked, it looked absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just, I'm sorry, Sorian, but it was absolutely horrendous. So, like, yeah, like vi- visually, it's it's not just a new finish and stuff like that, although that stuff certainly helps. Like, before, it was kind of just like this flat gray. Um but yeah, Dave, when you say that they adopted these features from Red and Rival and stuff, I and mean, they, they adopted really good features. Well, yes, arguably really good features from both of those because 
like one of the ways, um, you know, the SRAM is saying that this group set's about 100 grams lighter or so, um, which sounds really good on paper. Uh, however, it, it's maybe a little bit less impressive when you realize that almost all of that, all that weight savings is coming from the new uh, one piece machined double road chain ring, uh, which is something borrowed from Red, um, which definitely looks way better. And I, and I would say it, it seems to shift better because that whole thing is quite a bit stiffer. And then with the the levers, I guess that's that's where the biggest rival uh, influence comes in because you know with the with the latest generation rival axis stuff, the the lever bodies are quite a bit smaller, and you don't have that like that big hump at the top. Um, so the the lever bodies are the same as rival. It actually uses the same hood, um, but now it uses carbon fiber lever blades that you know the shape is a little bit different. You can kind of get more of your fingers around it, and like you're less likely to pinch your fingers when you're hitting the brakes. Um, but to me, one of the biggest things that that uh, maybe doesn't get mentioned as much as it maybe should from what I've seen in some other places is that uh, ever since SRAM introduced Axis, the way that you in, the way that you got remote buttons was to plug them into the levers. And now it's yep. a wireless setup. Yep. Which was introduced with Rival, but it's... Yeah, so it's they have removed uh, the abil- the ports in the shifter, basically the ability to run uh, wired blips. That's no longer there, and that's that's a big reason why this new shifter body has been able to be slimmed down. Um, that, and they've also ditched the uh, the contact point adjustment, which used to be that big five millimeter bolt. If you pulled back the hood of your old uh, force or, or red shifter, you'd see a contact point adjustment. They they got rid of that. They just found out that most people didn't use it and no it, one used truthfully, it. it it didn't make that much of a difference when you did use it so uh yeah so that's where the the bulk has been taken away and i personally found that the most noticeable difference between new and old is in that shifter i i much prefer the new shape um that slimmer more compact shape i my hands get along with it a lot better i'm sure other people with medium-sized or smaller hands will also appreciate those changes uh but yeah there's there's other things like they they no longer have the option of two rear derailers that they previously had there's now just uh well there is still two rear derailers they used to have the option of three rear derailers now there's there's two so you've got the the one by derailleur and the explore range and then there's just one for for shram force road which which covers everything from like a a 26 tooth cassette if you're foolish enough to use that all the way through to uh like a 36 if i'm not mistaken yeah, um, bigger chainring options, which was uh, a demand for the from people that race road. So you can now get up to a fifty tooth big ring. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of nice little changes here, and and overall, uh, as James said, you know, front shifting's better, ergonomics on the front's better. So so there's a lot of nice little changes here. the The big question I have is, has SRAM done enough compete with Shimano Altegra Di two? I guess it depends on what you're looking for from a group set, um, because I know I know I'm going to get a phone call from a certain someone at SRAM when I say this right now. But I still believe that Shimano shifting is faster, particularly in the back, than SRAM. Suddenly um, smoother, and you know that is something that I still feel like Altegra has a leg up on for um, relative to this new fourth group set, because functionally the, the group set hasn't really changed. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people still prefer this shifting action of of, of SRAM's ETAP setup. You know, just mm-hmm. push the left paddle to go to an easier gear, push the right paddle to go to a harder gear. It's it's so much more intuitive. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I actually reprogram my Shimano shifters to be as much like that as I can. Um, but to me, far and away, like, even though these other improve, even though these other changes are improvements, to me, far and away, the biggest change is that it no longer looks like a plastic thing that you got out of a big box store that's yeah. that, that's a massive, yeah. massive i'd actually want to bike with this now yeah yeah, yeah. That, that that's a big change for me as well where previously uh well not previously still do i quite enjoy tram group sets but previously red was really the only option for me if i was looking to build you know a, a, a dream bike or a, a bike of my own aesthetics wise red was the only option or if you know, if you didn't want to go to that price point, which I wouldn't have wanted to, then you ha- you're forced to look at Altegra. Uh, whereas now, for me at least, the new Force Group set is actually something that I would quite happily put on. You know, as, as, again, I'm speaking aesthetics wise here. Uh, quite happily put on on any bike, and there's one bike in particular, or one frame in particular, that I've been sort of trying to build up the components individually for. Uh, and and was working towards a red group set piece by piece 
but now all of a sudden this does actually open up a whole new option for me. So from that point of view, you, you know, the, the, and my discussions with Sram, that was the box he wanted to take, and they, they've they've done that. Yeah, for me, like this is something I'll dive into a bit more with once we have a website up and running, uh, escapecollective.cc, uh, which I we'll sign up or we won't have a website. Oh, okay. By the way. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> if we get a website running, uh, yeah, it's uh, this is something I want to dive into, but the whole comparison between Shram and Shimano. But uh, for me, going back to James' point of being intuitive, I think that also extends onto like long term ownership of the bike. Because I actually still find Shimano a little, a little bit more complicated. Like when you need to make, say, if you need to micro adjust the DI2, that's actually quite a bit more. It's more of a process, or or even just charging the bike, having to plug it in and uh, plug it in through the rear derailleur, and then you know keep the shifters in check. I, I actually find SRAM system of two separate batteries, which run their own derailleur and you can interchange them and they're very easy to take out i actually find that a better user experience uh so yeah i think there's there's quite a few things that shram does very well the other thing that they are killing shimano on at the moment is um compatibility in its wireless protocol so like the ability to grab these brand new four shifters that have improved ergonomics and run them on any other bike that has an axis rear derailleur whether that's a mountain bike, Eagle mountain bike, or whether that's a previous generation bike where you, you've you got pre-existing force and you don't like the shifter ergonomics. That's pretty cool. Uh, and that's something that Shimano has traditionally failed at. They, 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 you know, 11 to 12 speed change, for example, requires all new group set effectively. Uh, 100% right. with you there, Dave. And the other thing you mentioned, you know, ease of use and charging that. The other thing that SRAM have announced today is the quad charger which yes 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 Yes. that's honestly i'm most excited about that uh because it's a tool but it's um i'm amazed the grumpy hater is so excited yeah old grumpy hater is unbelievably excited about this yes our friend zach edwards is just like ecstatic yes he's he's, uh (laughs) less excited about other things uh but he's definitely excited (laughs) about the charger yeah. Well, so, and, and one thing I confirmed with SRAM too, and I and I asked them about this when when uh, when they showed this to us, um, I did confirm that they also made sure that the overall current delivered to those four batteries is is basically the equivalent of taking four batteries and four separate chargers. So it's not like you're taking four batteries and drawing the same amount of electricity as you would before with a single charger, and just conveniently charging four batteries at one quarter the speed. Um, so it, it is what you want it to be. Yeah, it'll actually charge two batteries significantly faster, uh, or it'll charge four batteries to 80% within 60 minutes. Yeah, it's like a fast charger almost. Yeah, um, yeah so USB-C plug, uh, unlike what was it, USB micro before. Uh, and and yeah, it's got little holes in the back so you can mount it on your wall, which is pretty cool. So yeah, that quad charger is something that SRAM will be selling aftermarket only. It won't come with any group set or anything like that. A group sets will still come with uh, the individual charger like before, but I want one. Have you got any SRAM bikes, Dave? SRAM equipment? I do. I, I own a okay. hardtail so mountain bike. So you don't which... have to buy you don't have to buy a new bike then just to get this too? No, no. <laughs> okay. I, I might have to buy another one because my hardtail mountain bike has the dropper seat post and a rear derailleur. That's Axis. Um so yeah, I might need to buy another bike. So I have four batteries. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ronan, we should all know by now that Dave doesn't really buy one of any tool related thing. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no. Uh, like in my possession at the moment, I think I have three, four Axis bikes. So yeah, I could definitely use this this charger. Um, we we also know that exciting. you don't need to have a use for a tool to buy a tool. So this is very true. <laughs> this is very true. The uh the 12 millimeter through axle taps in my in the original packaging in my garage is proof of this (laughs) dave can we can we move on to the uh self-promotion part of this yeah segment yeah yeah what am i self-promoting can you you're just you're gonna tell the people where they can find more and what they need to do to find more on the new SRAM stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. So part of the SRAM stuff, I did attend a little bit of a launch. I've written it. I've photographed it. But we don't have a website yet to publish all this stuff on. 
Uh, and part of that that launch is I actually sat down with Lachlan McKillop, who's sort of a, a technical training expert for SRAM, um, and we spoke through the group set for a good half an hour. Uh, and that conversation is not something I wanted to go to waste. So we are posting that conversation on our Discord channel, which is a members-only channel. Uh, and yeah, it's it's already a vibrant place 24 hours in. Kaylee? It's an amazing place, actually. There's there's thousands of people on it already. Yeah, so if, if you sign up to be a member of Escape Collective, uh, which, to reiterate... Uh, we need a lot of you to sign up right now or else basically this thing doesn't happen. Uh, we're, we're, we're sort of in the launch phase from that perspective. Um, if you sign up, one of the things you do get is you get access to this member only discord and we're going to be dropping little nuggets in there on occasion. Uh, we, yeah, so this is a good example. We're going to, we're going to drop a little bit of extra stuff that doesn't fit in today's podcast. We're going to drop it in that discord. Uh, we're also going to do some, some live chats and things like that. Maybe about around racing, maybe around some tech stuff, all sorts of fun stuff we can do with the Discord. So one of the things you get if you sign up for Escape Collective beyond just a very warm, fuzzy feeling inside and the promise of a high five next yep. time you see any of us out and about. So escapecollective.cc. Go check it out. Hey, when uh, when do I get my custom NFT? <laughs> no fucking um, NFTs. I... <laughs> <laughs> A friend of mine asked for that, uh, and actually, what he asked for was uh, he said he demanded a high five because that's what we promised is a high five. And so I sent him a video of me high fiving my phone, uh, and I think we're going to turn that little GIF into an NFT and then send it to him one frame at a time. I think that's the plan. Speaking speaking of high fives, whenever we do get our merch site up and running here, uh, one thing I am going to strongly suggest is Escape Collective foam big foam hands, so we can do like big yes. foam hand high fives. Ooh, yeah, we can bring a bunch of the Tour de France and just like lean out the window mm-hmm. as we go up Altuez mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. It's not going up Altuez this mm-hmm. year, but I think that's a great idea. Recycle. All right, we got more to talk about. We got, we, we, it'd be like compostable or something like okay. that. Okay, uh, we, we, they we make got, them out of cornstarch. I'm sure we can okay. find one. All right, good. Yeah. The, we, we, we got things to talk about. We got a lot more to talk about. We're yeah. already halfway through this, this yeah, episode. Yeah. There's a new so, bike. There, oh, no, no, I, I want, I'm not getting oh. to the new bike yet. I'm oh, getting what? to the, the, uh, the end of a actually ended up being quite short uh, court battle between SRAM and Princeton Carbon. So Ronan, this was this is your beat. Or what? How did this end up? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you say it was quite short, but it actually lasted the full two weeks. It was predicted. Um, so yeah, uh, but anyway, the the story you're referring to is the SRAM versus Princeton Carbon Works. Uh, trial that had been ongoing over the past fortnight or so and last friday a jury ruled that actually princeton carbon works did not infringe on any patents and as such uh effectively ruled well not effectively did rule in favor of princeton and princeton can continue making their were they the peaks or were they the waves i can't remember but they, <laughs> they can keep making the rims with the 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 bulges and the yeah, uh, the 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 trial with the humpback whales has not yet come mm. up, um, mm. but I think that will happen next. Um, and they <laughs> they they definitely have a strong case here, given that pretty much everybody has referenced a humpback at some point. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I hear the I hear the whales are having trouble getting getting good representation, getting good like legal representation. So uh, that's still kind of pending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought there was a terrible pun coming there, James. No, you, no, I, I don't. You I don't do the terrible puns. Uh, I, I should, am not. I'm should. not nearly that clever. Not nearly that clever. Well, I, I think we mentioned this last time. You know, none of us here are lawyers, and so I don't think we're gonna we're gonna not gonna apply any opinion to the actual opinion here. We're not gonna you know, to, to the uh, to the outcome, other than to say that. I mean, it's clear, like Princeton dodged a financial bullet, right? There's, there's no question about that. This is a lot of money for them. Uh, and I can't imagine that SRAM is all that happy about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what else we can add to this. Uh, not a whole lot, I don't think. I mean, SRAM, yeah, SRAM for sure is not happy about this. I did speak to someone at Princeton Carbon last week, and and I can confirm that they are very happy. Yeah, I also I I think it does set a precedent for potentially other people looking at this design now as well, right? Like if I, I mean yeah. that's very true. Like if I was SRAM, I would be I'd be going to to, to Katsanis being like, 
do we need to license this from you anymore? Can we just make it a bulge instead of a peak <laughs> or whatever the heck it was? I mean, it, it does have maybe sort of uh, implications down the line for that particular or designs like that, right? Uh, you know, not not fitting the exact same thing, but because correct me if I'm wrong here, but part of part of I mean, Ronan, you mentioned this when we were talking about it. Part of the argument was that SRAM's definition of their patent was too broad, right? Uh, and so if this case effectively narrows that definition to the way that Princeton saw it. And yeah, that, that could have, have impacts, but we're getting into the realm of lawyers. Uh, and I'm not, like I said, none of us are. So I want to move us on to the new bicycle. What do we got, Dave? Uh, it's or no James. Oh, we got right. James in this one. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. All of you have, I guess seeing is how I've actually written this thing. Uh, yeah. So Cannondale introduced a new Super 6 Evo fourth gen at this point, and uh, they are, of course, calling it their, quote, our fastest lightweight bike ever, unquote. Uh, pretty heady claims on this thing. They're saying that it is uh, an 11-watt aero improvement over the third gen Super 6 Evo, of course, at 45k an hour. Uh, they're also saying that it's more aero than a Tarmac SL7 or a Trek Amanda SLR um, by pretty decent margins. Yeah, so it's also quite a bit quite a bit lighter uh, than it used to be. Uh, the top end frame is now just 770 grams for a painted 56 centimeter uh, frame with hardware. It's pretty good. Uh, there's also going to be a couple of other, other tiers. There'll be uh, an 810 gram high mod version. They'll also have a 930 gram just just a Super Six Evo carbon. Um, but yeah, quite quite light. Um, but one of the coolest things about all this thing is that it really, I mean, first of all, it, I think it looks. I think it's a great looking bike. It's super clean, uh, very, very tidy design. Um, but they also got rid of nearly all of the weirdness that Cannondale is often known for. Um, it's a threaded bottom bracket. It's a conventional inch and an eighth to inch and a half uh, drop-in integrated headset, for example. Uh, it is still fully internally routed, uh, and it does use a non-round steer tube. It's kind of like a, almost like a pizza slice shaped steer tube. They're calling it Delta. Um but uh, there's a bunch of stuff about the routing that I, I have to admit I don't entirely hate. Like I'm obviously still not a fan of, of lines that run through headset bearings, but um, they at least seem to have made it a little bit easier. I mean, there's, there's a decent amount of space to run all this stuff. They have reinforced the surface of the steering tube with Inegra fibers to to protect from wear. I mean, they're saying that in any of their testing wear hasn't been an issue, but they're basically saying that even if it is just in case, they're just kind of playing it safe there, which I'd like to see. Um, and then uh, there's an awful lot of compatibility with a whole bunch of different uh, stems and one-piece cockpits and that sort of thing. They have their own one-piece carbon bar and stem that they uh, developed with Momo Design, people who are often famous for like car steering wheels, that sort of thing. Um, but then they also have one-piece setups, uh, well, Sorry, and they but they also have two piece setups. Uh, it's also compatible with regular uh, regular round inch and eighth steer tube stems. Um, so there's a whole bunch of different like headset covers and stuff like that. And and actually, like they look pretty good. Like I give them a lot of credit for for having that much flexibility in the routing setup without it looking terrible. So many questions for you, James. Given you've ridden this bike, and I like what I see with this bike. Uh, but I want to start first of all, uh, like. Is there anything we should be concerned about with the, the, the like what I've seen of the steering tube in pictures? It looks like a triangular shape, uh, which has never really been done before. Uh, should we have any concerns about that, or is that just another shape? There's, uh, there's, there's been weight added to the steering tube versus previous designs, and I, I know they're very confident in the strength of this one. But my concern is actually related to ride quality, and that was actually something i didn't quite get an answer to is they they talk about uh the the compliance of this frame and the ride quality of this frame being uh effectively unchanged despite having now like a deeper section aero seat post um but all of that talk is is in relation to seated comfort and there wasn't much uh anything really to say about the front end comfort and uh, a triangle is just naturally going to be stiffer than other shapes so i i don't know james did you feel anything like uh more harshness through the front end at all or anything like that i would say not so far um because i think for the reality is for a lot of aero road bikes in particular um if you kind of go on the assumption that someone riding that bike would be running a fairly lower front end which is kind of just how a lot of these bikes are designed 
there's actually there's just not that much steer tube available to bend anyway and like we see a perfect example of this how you know how trek kind of got rid of that front iso speed setup in their latest generation domani slr i mean they even they admitted that there's just not that much to gain from a flexible steer tube yeah um i mean there's some but not a ton um but i i wouldn't say that and i have it's noticed- cheaper just to run your headset loose right yeah, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say I've noticed that the front end is particularly harsh right now. I mean, it's hard to say with like different stems and handbars and that stuff, that sort of thing. But I, I definitely wouldn't say that the front end seems particularly harsh at all. Um, I actually think the, the ride quality actually seems really quite nice. I mean, it's, it's a really nice riding bike. It feels really nice and uh, kind of cohesive front to back. It doesn't feel like sort of like, you know, two halves of a bike stuck together um it's it's what you'd expect when you when you when you put a lot of power down it's very kind of uh like uh like pleasingly stiff uh it doesn't feel like outrageously stiff but it definitely is up there um but that's not really a huge uh huge competing feature among most bikes anyway because really high-end bikes as far as stiffness goes they're mostly the same or very similar at least anyway uh speaking of the right there is the geometry still the same as previous super six just identical copy and paste uh, in, in a lot of ways it is. Um, so they, they retain the steering geometry. So basically like the trail and fork rakes and stuff like that. Uh, it's ba- basically unchanged. Uh, stack and reach is basically unchanged. They, they did change a little bit in terms of the sizing. They got rid of the, the biggest size 60 and 62 centimeter and they switched it to a, just a 61 that supposedly handles both. Um, but in terms of the geometry, it's basically the same as the the third generation one. Yeah, I think there's also been quite a lot of attention paid to the the smaller the smallest sizes, um, really tweaking and refining the the geometry on those as well. My my main question though, was it a Lab seventy one that you rode? Yeah, so I I did not ride a Lab seventy one. Uh, they're like super super high end version now. Um, I think I was on what was I on? I think I was on like a, a high mod with force. I think. Um, can't remember now but uh but yeah so i i definitely was not on on a super high-end one and i actually kind of like uh that the i i think well i think it given given the choice i think for a long term i would almost be more inclined to just do like a regular high mod or even just like a base level carbon one because they're all pretty reasonably light yeah the thing that sort of jumped off the sheet to me in looking at these the claimed weights that were published earlier today and uh, I'm putting all these questions to you because you have seen the bike, whereas I haven't. Um, but there's only 40 grams of difference between a, high, a Lab 71 and a High Mod. Yeah, uh, is there something else I'm missing? Well, no, but, uh, like, but from a percentage point of view, that's that's what probably five percent mm. or something less weight. So, I mean, once you're flying that close to the sun, there's and there's only so much you can do. <laughs> without yeah the the other thing is they the the lab 71 has a pretty unique finish on it um there's like a big exposed section of top tube where there's just sort of like clear coat on there and the the finish is sort of like this chopped carbon fiber stuff so uh, like that total top that chopped carbon fiber top layer is it's mostly cosmetic as as a lot of them are um but it does look really cool particularly since the uh if you go with that momo one piece carbon front end uh, the finish on that is actually the same. So it, it visually is pretty neat. Like it, it does look premium. Yeah. So it was explained to me with the Lab 71, like there's, there's obviously going to be a big price difference there for, as you say, Ronan, like not a huge uh, uh, physical difference. Uh, like the weight's really the only thing you're gaining and maybe a little bit of a cosmetic difference. But um, it comes down to how these are manufactured. And basically the Lab 71 is using such a high grade of, of uh, prepaid carbon that uh, they're basically saying is, is the, sh- the shelf life of it is almost non-existent. So they just have to use this stuff up. They can't keep it on in the freezer or in the fridge for an extended period of time it's just because the resin goes bad. So they have to like basically get the, the prepreg in and, and use it immediately. Um, whereas other, other carbons you can kind of keep in keep on ice for a little bit so uh that's that's where the inherent cost is is just having to the logistics of it and just really it's a very expensive material and difficult to work with i've always like really liked the idea of using some you know super high-end grade of carbon you know chuck caution to the wind regardless of what it costs let's just do this thing yeah but i always thought there'd be a bigger benefit than 40 gram saving um yeah yeah, I mean, I mean it, yeah, yeah. I mean, like like Dave said, and we're definitely in the realm of diminishing returns. And if we 
if you want to go back in time, it really wasn't that long ago where, you know, an 800, an 800 gram frame was pretty remarkable. Um, but the big thing that we have to remember here is we are talking about uh, an, an arrow frame too. And those things are just inherently heavy, are inherently heavier. Yeah. Like I, I remember the look, was it the look 585 was the first thousand gram frame. And that was just unthinkable. Um, so we, we've, we've come quite a way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, overall, I think this, this looks really good. I think Cannondale does seem to be on a really good path with this stuff. Uh, like I said, like it's, it's a good looking bike. They seem to have hit all the performance targets. Um, there's nothing super weird on it at all. Um, I mean, it does use its own seat post, but that that's not unusual at all. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot on here that I like, obviously it's expensive. I don't have the pricing on hand, uh, right, right away. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think this will be good for them personally. Uh, and I guess for, for shop, for shop people, and especially people who have maybe dealt with warranty stuff, they, they did also get rid of the, the, uh, the steer stop up front that they used to have with their old routing setup. Cause they used to have sort of like this double walled headset, or they used to have this sort of double walled head tube within a head tube thing for their internal cable routing. So while that setup was nice because it was a lot easier to service, uh, like it didn't go through the headset bearings, it it was a little bit more problematic because they did have a hard steer stop in there that uh, that apparently was somewhat prone to breaking. So that's no longer mm. an issue. Yeah, uh, pricing I don't have for the lower level models, but for Lab Seventy One, uh, fifteen thousand US for the complete bike. Uh, that is as the most expensive as these bikes get, and then the the high mods below that are, are quite significantly less um but what's worth noting is that bike is arguably almost unupgradable so like for example it comes stock with like a ceramic speed bottom bracket they even give you the aluminium socket from ceramic speed for that bike which is quite an expensive tool uh and then like it's got this crazy like 3d i think it's a 3d printed physique saddle a new model if it's not 3d printed either way the the material makeup of that saddle makes it a very expensive saddle it is a 3D printed model. It oh, is. it is a 3D printed. Okay. Yeah, it's one go. of their adaptive ones for sure. Yeah. Uh, complete frame set with uh, with like uh, handlebar, stem and all that. Um, $6,000 in the Lab 71. So yeah, I mean, it's it's in line with, as we've previously said, Lab 71 is kind of Cannondale's answer to S-Works and it's certainly in line with that. The, I've seen prices quoted somewhere earlier. The previous generation high mod was 11,500 sterling. And the new high mod is ten and a half thousand sterling, so that looks like a saving. But actually, the new top of the range, which is obviously Lab Seventy One, now is twelve and a half thousand. So, depending on what way you want to look at that, it's yeah. you know, there's there, yeah, pricing's going uh, uh, just whatever direction you want to choose. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's going in every single direction at the same time. <laughs> the the other just before we move on from the Canada, the two things we haven't mentioned is Aero water bottles. You know, like, uh, oh, it we, does we, have aero water bottles. It's it's funny yes. because when when I was getting the whole spiel on this thing from Cannondale, two things popped in my head. Uh, they actually did call out specifically, Dave, that they knew that you'd be very excited that it came with a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so they they, <laughs> they were, were thinking uh, of correct. You. They, yeah, they were correct. thinking of you. I like, and, uh, I like that they know us. <laughs> yeah, and then when they and then when they showed these bottles, I immediately thought of Ronin. So these these bottles. Uh, these bottles and cages that come with uh, not all of the bikes, but I think most of the models, at least the higher end ones, um, it's a custom water bottle and water bottle cage. Um, and it's sort of like if you took a round water bottle and sort of just like shaved off the sides to just kind of make them narrower. Um, so it is a an arrow water bottle in the sense that the width is not really much wider at all than the width of the tubes on the frame. Um, but it's still normal and if i remember if i remember correctly i think they said that the cages will also fit conventional round Correct. bottles yeah so the cages are basically holding mm. a round shape front to back but and then the cage is like non-existent side to side like the bottle so the bottle's sides are shaved uh so yeah any round bottle fits and then likewise those aero bottles actually retain a round lid as well so like mm-hmm. they it's an interchangeable yep. lid with other other bottles and supposedly the bike tests faster with the bottles in place. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Yes. Yeah. The, that was the one confirmed. other thing we haven't the one other thing we haven't touched on is just the fact that there is now a whole new aftermarket for boy racers who want to tune their Cannondales with Momo accessories. You know, Momo exhaust, Momo seatbelts, Momo <laughs> handlebars. <laughs> 
you can you can get a Momo fire extinguisher somewhere if you want. You can yeah get a NOS button. The whole works. And because it's a thread bottom bracket, you can just thread those accessories straight in. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. No longer. Uh, that was the nerdiest joke I think we maybe ever had in, this uh, in in its in its long history of like three episodes. The geekiest uh, joke, Kelly. The geekiest joke. The geekiest. Sorry, the geekiest. Uh, I I. I I feel it's time to move on. Yeah. That was, uh, I really like the sound of this bike though. And I really like the look of this bike. Mm. And I think that, you know, while we here are geeks and we, uh, pay very close attention to some of the details of these things, the fact that it looks good is going to be a good, good news for Cannondale and it's, and it's sales figures. I would imagine. Yeah. I want to know though, Dave, what is currently on your mind and over the head of your family? Uh, not much other than a writing for a a website that may or may not happen in the future, mm. depending on how signups go. Um, yeah, I'm I'm deep in a rabbit hole of uh, cutting carbon fiber. Um, the 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 correct tools, the correct process, whether you finish it with close off the cut or not, whether you. Uh, attack it with a bladed saw or a grit saw. I'm yeah. I'm I'm breathing in all the dust. I'm just getting it all. And uh, yeah. Um, that's that's where my mind is. And I haven't been able to tell anyone about that until now. So thanks, Kaylee. D- Dave, I, I, Dave, I'm curious. When you cut carbon fiber stuff, mm-hmm. regardless of what kind of tool you use to cut it, yeah. Uh, do you spray it down first to I cut down on the dust? Because I do. Absolutely do. Yeah, so yeah. I've got a little bottle of uh, of water in a in a cheap spray bottle, which uh, I use, and then yeah, use a N95 mask and keep the dust settled as much as possible. Um, there are other techniques that you can do, which I will cover in in writing if enough of you sign up to read. So, <laughs> so so we should ex- expect like a what is this going to be like a five eight hundred word thing. Yeah, my usual. Yeah, my usual. Uh, keep it brief. Uh, I okay. don't like to make things <laughs> any longer than what else is already on the internet. Uh, that's that's my approach to to this kind of thing. So yeah, don't. don't yeah, just expect a quick one to two minute read. I'd say. Gotcha, D- Dave. You do realize that you're not paid by the word, right? Uh, yeah, which is why I keep it just you know like like everything I've done in the past is 500 words or less. Um, <laughs> Dave, are you are you are you fielding questions on this topic now, or do we have to wait for the article? No, I, I mean we can field questions, and then I can make sure that I'm answering it in the in the piece. One question I've always had is like, could you use uh, and correct? Uh, forgive me if my terminology is not correct, but like a circular saw, like a no, no, okay, <laughs> no, you can. Uh, I, like, and that's uh, I've been chatting with like uh, ruckus components, for example, who are a carbon fiber repair specialist, and that's that's kind of what they use. They have a like a diamond, a diamond bladed saw that they'd use with dust extraction and all the fancy a wet saw. Um, it's almost like that, a tile saw. Yeah, basically, and that's that's exactly what they would use to inspect components for aerospace use and that sort of, sort of thing. So you can. Uh, the question is, is why? Well, it was actually <laughs> it was one of those you know the the build videos that we see on YouTube. I think it was is it yeah. Road Bike Channel or or one of those. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were in the Bahrain Victorious head uh, service course, I think. And obviously, you know, mechanics building countless bikes to the start of the season. If they could cut down time cutting steerer tubes, I'm uh, I'm sure that would uh, you know be helpful and. I'm pretty sure it was that video. You know, it could have been one of the other ones, but definitely on that channel, I seen uh, they they were using a, a circular saw. And there, I'm no expert mechanic, but there are certainly practices that I see in some of those videos that I think that's maybe not the way it should be done. So that was why yeah. I wanted to double check. Is I think it, I is think that's a good think, idea. Or not? I think a circular saw, or uh, well, a circular saw is kind of like a handheld tool that you you run down. So I'm I'm imagining it's more a drop saw that you saw, where they, yeah, they have a handle saw. that you pull the the saw blade down onto the product. Ooh, it's about was two it? years ago now, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I can't quite remember. But yeah, I, that stuff works. Like there's ones that sort of have liquid built into them that keep the blade cool, and that liquid would also keep the dust at bay. Um, probably work but yeah a one that you pick up from your hardware store designed for wood 
I wouldn't do because you're probably just <laughs> spitting a lot of dust into the air. Uh, I want to just correct myself there now. It, it sounded like I was dishing some of the mechanics and I, t- and I was in yeah. no way doing that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I would just, also say, like, truthfully, some of the stuff you see at the World Tour shouldn't be replicated by a shop or an individual. Um, like, they, they really do some stuff that is fine for professional use, knowing that that product, su- that product might be crashed out in the next week and that's the end of its life cycle. Um, but if you're building a bike that you've paid good money for yourself, then there, there's often better but perhaps less efficient ways of doing things i'm i'm hung up on your admission that your spray bottle is cheap (laughs) i I actually have some very very expensive spray bottles um like i think the most expensive one i've got like here because i 80 dollars i have like i have like a glass nice yeah but what happens when you drop that this is for spritzing my plants, oh, yeah. so I don't, I don't, uh, I probably won't, because I live in a very dry place, and sometimes yeah. they need a little bath. Yeah, uh, this is for spritzing my plants, but I just, you know, if I was going to have a nicer tool, in addition to my hammer, yeah, uh, in addition to my hammer, if I was going to have a nicer tool than Dave Rome, I need to know about it. So, yeah, you're saying that's not the case, I've, and you actually do have some quite expensive spray bottles. There are some really nice spray bottles that like double spray on one pull of the trigger. I actually don't like that, so I've I've reverted back for my water for the water spritzer. I've reverted back to just a supermarket buy um but i have customized i put dr- speed holes in it so it's lighter um <laughs> no, <laughs> drillium. I just yeah dave dave, <laughs> dave i just want to say that i i can't wait for the day when and if you have a kid yeah. and i'm just going to enjoy watching you be just completely paralyzed with <laughs> with like analysis paralysis on everything yeah yeah so i once did i once worked in seo for a for a baby goods website um so yeah that's that's an i know enough to know that i don't want to have to think about that that industry anyway um that's completely unrelated to a a cycling nerd podcast but um gentlemen we 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 are we are we're close to an hour of of podcasting what what else is on everyone else's minds to cover yeah yeah uh james do you have anything is there anything sitting on your mind at the moment uh well yeah i mean if if I am understanding correctly, I mean, we do a a regular PSA, don't we? Well, that's yeah, a, that's that a could, different we, this, segment. We could combine could, segments. Sure. No, we could combine segments. Sure. Maybe maybe the PSA is on James's mind. Am I, I, am, I breaking, am I breaking protocol here? Absolutely. Uh, we don't have protocol. <laughs> mm. uh, I I would just like to remind everyone who is running disc brakes out there, particularly hydraulic disc brakes, to uh, actually check the the thickness of your disc brake pads um, because with Basically, every modern fully hydraulic disc brake setup out there, it automatically compensates for disc pad wear uh, until those disc brake pads are overly worn. And a lot of people will be like, oh, like my lever is starting to feel a little spongy. I must have to bleed it. Uh, it may or may not be the case that you have to bleed it, but it may also be the case that your pads are just really, really worn. And as your pistons extend too far out of the calipers, uh, then that's a good indication that you might want to check those because once they get too worn, that's a kind of a problem. James, uh, got any tips for what people should be paying attention to as warning signs for as their disc brake pads are screaming for help? Yeah, well, like I said, the uh, like a, a softening brake lever, like I said, could be the sign of, uh, of of a bleed issue, but it could also just be that the calipers are starting to uh, sort of take up too much fluid out of the the, the master cylinder reservoir and the lever. Um, and then the other thing is, I mean, I know every manufacturer has specific guidelines as far as what the, the the pad material thickness is supposed to be and that sort of thing. But I generally just kind of go with a rough visual check. For, for me, if I look at the caliper and the amount of pad material is roughly about half the thickness of the backing plate, then I usually consider those pads to be close to done. Yeah. For me, there's, there's a few things that I tail riders is that like some of the systems like shimano for example often starts to get a bit noisy as the pad gets worn um as it comes to the end of its life it kind of almost can can screech a little bit and uh that can be a very good warning sign um you also tend to experience a bit more rub from the brake as those pistons get fully extended uh they don't they don't quite retract the same way um that's that's stuff i've seen and then uh i would also just say like yeah if you sight through the through the caliper you've got the brake pads have a a spring in between them um if your pad material is getting anywhere near the thickness of just that spring 
uh, you're well overdue. So anyway, it's a good check, PSA. Check your disc brake pads, please, everyone. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check my disc brake pads. I, I I need to get all my bikes working <laughs> after a pretty heavy winter of snow. It's about time. It's about time. I'm gonna FaceTime Dave while I go into my shed and dig through my bucket of tools and put everything back together. My it's hairline's like, already receding, Kelly. I don't need this kind of stress. <laughs> that, that is that is actually one thing that you get. Uh, we haven't advertised this. That is one thing that you get with a, mem- uh, a membership to Escape Collective. You do get 24-7 access to Dave. He is your virtual bicycle mechanic uh, consultant. That's true. All the time. He, he will be available 24-7, 365. Uh, you, can, you can get him on a Zoom call or a Google Hangout or whatever is most convenient for you, and he will talk you through every single aspect of your bicycle repair. Yeah, like, can we renegotiate my my contract? <laughs> we're gonna we're just gonna post a cell phone number, mobile phone number, uh, just on the Discord, and then you know, then you're good to go. Just give him a ring whenever you want. Done. Pay pay no attention to time zones and and what sort of <laughs> whatever time it is for Dave. All right, everybody. This sounds uh, fun. It it is it is time for us to wrap up for the did, week. Did Ronan have a? I, I might oh, Ronan do you have no and I might actually just throw it in here because um, it's actually a question for, for Dave uh, and it's totally related oh. so um, oh. and it might We're be useful tack on another 20 minutes here <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was doing a spring clean of the garage and I realized just how many of the hex keys that you get delivered with different products free that I have lying around that I don't want to dump because that feels irresponsible but i don't want to use because they feel shite so i want to know what i should do with them uh the quality is low enough that you'll probably damage whatever bolt you put them in so uh Mm. i would i would say uh next time if you're ever visiting a scrap metal yard um just just chuck them in the oh man that's so that's so harsh I, i take all that stuff and i donate it to my local community cycles place because I will agree that those tools are generally not very good, um, but I would argue that tools that are maybe not very good are still better than no tools at all. And a lot of those places are hurting for stuff. Period. So if it's you know if if you if you have like even some sort of decent quality four or five six mil, and that would include anything that I would well for, by Dave's standards, you know, decent quality would be anything like you know fifty dollars each and up. Uh, but uh, not quite. <laughs> the, <laughs> The it's things, just more than I, it's more these, than a free Allen key that came with your Billy bookcase is, is the, decent quality. The to me. products that these free Allen keys came with cost less than fifty bucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, if they're truly, truly horrible, then it's probably not hand, not worth handing out to someone. But there's a lot of kind of freebie stuff that is at least halfway decent that would at least be useful to someone who doesn't have anything. Mm. That's, that's so a, yeah, I donate all that stuff. You can send them to me. I'll use uh, happily. So, Kaylee actually has like a hex key holder that just has all four <laughs> millimeters from IKEA. And it's just like <laughs> it's just like he treats it like a no. Pez dispenser. He just uses one, throws it behind him, no, grabs but, the next one, never without a four mil. But I have. <laughs> <laughs> I can't defend myself uh, because it's it's too close to truth. Uh, all right, so. I'm wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up. Uh, as a reminder, uh, you know, we, we didn't use this episode to make a hard pitch to you all because you still want good content. Uh, we don't want to do that. So this is the only bit you're going to get, which is we just founded a uh, a new cycling media empire. It's called escapecollective.cc. We are currently in the membership gathering phase and to be very blunt about it, like this is how we get our, our capital for, for launching off the ground. Right. So when Dave says that, uh, you know, this potentially doesn't exist, that is, that is, that's an accurate statement. If we don't get enough members, this won't happen. Uh, and so this is our sort of hard pitch and plea to you, which is if you like this podcast and you like the people on this podcast and you like the people on the placeholders and you like the people that are on the splash page of escapecollective.cc, then please sign up. Uh, it means a huge amount to us and we'll thank you forever and you'll get a big high five next time we see you. And access That's to a 30-minute interview about New Sharam Force. 
and that and you're going to get like genuinely <laughs> pretty cool pretty cool little tidbits like there's going to be lots of stuff on that front where yeah. we you know it's not necessarily uh it's not scraps it's like bits that don't fit somewhere else or stuff we go out and specifically get for that purpose to to just provide a little bit of extra insight even deeper basically mm-hmm. for members only uh anyway that's enough of a pitch i don't want to i don't want to sit in your ears for too long here so head over to escapecollective.cc sign up thank you very much and uh we'll be back next week i think james is off for a couple weeks but the rest of us will be back next week with another episode of geek warning thanks everyone thank you bye bye